Yeah? There we go. Right. Good morning, church. <laughs> this morning we continue the series, The Story. This week we look at chapter 8. A few good men and women. I'm just grateful to be able to stand on this stage and teach God's word in God's house to God's people. Let's pray. Gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come and worship you. Lord, as we go through the story together, may we be led by your Holy Spirit. May we hear and understand what you are saying to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're making our way through the story. It's just so powerful to chronologically walk through the Bible. Think about uh, where we already been. First, there was the story of creation. Then God building a nation. Then we did Joseph. Then deliverance. Then we studied the commandments with Moses. Last week was Joshua and the battles in the Ten Commandments. A little while back, when I was a cleaner at two of the uh, Christian schools in Launceston in Tassie, I came across a list kept by one of the teachers at one of the schools of answers given by a teacher, given by children in tests covering the, the Bible at curriculum. I got a laugh out of some of the, of the samples, so I hope you do too. Moses died before he ever reached Canada. <laughs> then Joshua led the Hebrews in the battle of Jehoshaphat. The seventh commandment is thou shalt not admit adultery. <laughs> the Egyptians were all drowned in the desert. Afterwards, Moses went up upon Mount Sinai to get the Ten Amendments. <laughs> Jesus was born because Mary had an immaculate contraption. <laughs> Christians have only one spouse, and this is called monotony. <laughs> now, it just goes to remind us that it takes a while to learn and truly understand the stories of Scripture. But the first step to doing this is reading it for yourself. So, well done you, if you've been reading most of your life. Looking at the upper and the lower story, we find that surrounding the finding the surrounding nations are now watching with their eyes wide open how God deals graciously and justly with the nation of Israel. They see how God disciplines them according to his law and how God intervenes and takes them back when they cry out for help. This reveals the character of God and sends a loud message. Who would not want to be in a relationship with a gracious God like this? The Bible says that the nation of Israel followed God faithfully throughout the life of Joshua and the elders who succeeded him. 
we have seen this cyclical pattern developing much like what we do when we can sometimes follow God faithfully and passionately and then we can walk in darkness and disobedience. In Judges 2.10 we read these words. After the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. This verse is a frightening one. It shows how important it is for us to pass our spiritual faith onto the next generation. And that did not take place with Israel. Christianity is only ever one generation away from extinction. To not sit down with our children and teach them the stories of God's ways is a huge and costly mistake. That's why we're committed as a church to children's church, Sunday school, kids converge, all the other things that we do to encourage our children. We urge parents and grandparents to sit down with your children and your grandchildren Read them the Holy Bible and tell them how this story is affecting your life and your walk with God. And we acknowledge the ministry of the youth and the children's workers here at Wangaratta. Thank them for how much they are partnering with parents to instill a love and devotion to God in our children. So Judges chapter 2 begins this cyclical pattern of behaviour by the Israelites where disobedience leads to punishment <coughs> followed by repentance which leads to deliverance. Can you identify which stage of the cycle best applies to you right now? Is it sin? I'm chasing the wrong thing right now. I have mixed up priorities. I have an addiction or an addictive personality and it controls me. I keep mistreating people. <clears throat> or are you in oppression? My relationship with God has been affected. I am destroying my relationship with others. It will affect or is affecting my mental and physical health. It is or will affect me financially. And this leads to repentance. At this stage you identify you're in sin or oppression. So you have two choices. I am ready to come clean and deal with God. I am not ready to come clean with God right now. If you are, it leads to deliverance. Out of a broken heart of repentance, God can and will deliver us. God keeps taking you back. How many of us are willing to say, I have experienced God's deliverance for myself? When the Israelites disobeyed God, they began to walk in darkness. They stopped worshipping the Lord 
and they began idol worship and Baal worship. And for Israel, quite possibly like us here in the Western world today, there are plenty of false gods out there. They had the Canaanite Baals, those jolly little nature gods whose worship was a rampage of gluttony, drunkenness and ritual prostitution. For us, there are still the great gods of sex, shekels and stomach. You might call it the unholy trinity. There are other enslaving trinities as well. I think of pleasure, passions, position, or how about football, the firm, and the family. And I possibly just went too far naming football. <laughs> but anyway. There are two people that I would like to draw our attention to today. In fact, as we read Joshua 24:15, there are two biblical leaders that come to mind. The first is Deborah. You see, people begin or began to blend in and compromise in terms of their love and loyalty for God, the one true God. They began to just blend in and compromise. And soon, they became just like their pagan neighbours. But each time, God is going to use a judge to lead them back into the light of the Lord. And for 400 years, one by one, a dozen people, 11 of them were men and one of them was a woman. And one by one, they led the nation of Israel. Now, when you think of the term judge, you probably think of a person who presides over a trial, dressed in his big flowing robes and his big woolly wig, and sits in a chair behind a big desk. But I don't want you to think about that, because back in this time, a little over a thousand years before Christ's birth, a judge was so much more than that. In the Old Testament, these judges, they were political, they were spiritual, they were the military leaders, and they were all rolled into one. One of the earlier judges was a woman by the name of Deborah, and Debbie was a woman of influence. Now, Deborah was a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth. She was leading Israel at the time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. Can you imagine her business card? Deborah, chief judge of Israel, Jerusalem Road, third palm tree past the temple on the right. Please see my secretary for an appointment at the fourth palm tree on the right. She was the most unlikely judge because she was, well, she was a woman and she was living in a man's world. Women at any church or listening online, this should be so encouraging to you. It was not common for a woman to hold such a powerful political office. 
They didn't lead nations. They usually were seen and not heard. They usually just kept quiet in the background, served the men. However, Deborah was raised up by God to be a judge among his people. God used this woman in a powerful way. Never, never underestimate the leadership and influence of a woman. Can I get an amen from the women in the house? Amen. <laughs> there was a CEO who was out with his wife several years ago. They were on vacation in New England. One time they stopped for petrol and he went inside to get a candy bar. Then he came out and he saw his wife having an animated conversation with the gas station attendant. They were both laughing and he felt a little awkward as he walked past them. But he didn't say anything. He just got in the car. She continued to talk to the man for another few minutes. Finally, she called him by name and got into the car and he drove away and he was still a little awkward and uncomfortable and he said, hey, who was that guy? She said, it's the strangest thing. That's the guy that I was engaged to years ago before you and we haven't seen each other since all of that took place. Well, the poor bloke didn't know what to think. But he drove on a little further. Finally, he broke the silence. And with a smug arrogance, he looked over at his wife and said, Ah, do you ever think about it? If you'd married him, you'd be married to a petrol station attendant. And she answered, No, honey, you don't understand. Had he married me, he would be the CEO and you would be serving petrol at the, at the petrol station. Never underestimate the power of a woman. Write this down in your notes. Deborah had a close walk with God. That is why God gave her such influence. Ladies, if you want influence, you want leadership, and you sense God is calling you to do great and mighty things with your one and only life, you must walk close with God. In the upper and the lower story, God's meta-narrative continues to unfold on planet Earth. It remains clear that he uses men and women in the lower story to stay closely connected in a developed relationship with him. I'm reminded of the great passage in Chronicles 16.9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and throw, throw throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. That's a great verse. God is still looking to and fro. He's looking for a few good men and women. Will he find you faithful, loyal and usable for his purposes 
in the world? Well, this trend of unlikely being used by God is going to continue with another judge. Decades later, his name was Gideon. Gideon was a man of courage. For seven years, Israel had been struggling through a period of oppression. The Midianites and the Amalekites were ruthless barbarians who intimidated the Hebrews by destroying their crops and stealing their cattle. In Judges 6.11, it says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash, the Abirazite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. Now, you don't typically thresh wheat in a winepress. You do it where the wind can blow away the chaff. But Gideon didn't want to be seen by the Midianites. They were ruthless, barbaric, and would take his crop from him. Sometimes preachers paint a picture of Gideon as being a very cowardly man. And that may have been the case once. But in his defence, he was also a very practical man. He was a realist. He knew that he himself was no match for the vigilante tactics of the Midianites. But in the midst of the story, God is going to move Gideon from fear to trust. This causes me to ask one question to you. Where do you need God to move you from fear to trust? Think about that for a moment. Where is that area? Is it your marriage? Are you frightened at the status and the condition of your marriage? Are you single, worried about your future and whether you will ever marry? Is it your vocation? Where are you headed? What is this job all about? Or is it school? Whether you should go back, what you should study, or whether you should go on to higher education. Gideon was not from some special tribe. He was the least likely candidate, like Rahab last week. But God moves him from fear to trust. Look at verse 12 of Judges. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Judges 6.12. Now that is a stretch. Gideon was a farmer who appears to be attempting to save his crop before the Midianites could steal it. Please don't miss this. The angel of God is inspiring him to become a mighty warrior. He is not a mighty warrior just yet. But in the eyes of God, who always sees us in the best version of ourselves in the future. God speaks profound and inspiring words of hope and courage. No doubt, Gideon was a diligent man, but God was about to stretch him out of his comfort zone because God always sees inside us all our greatest potential. And he was about to move Gideon from fear 
to trust. Once, after marvelling at Michelangelo's statue of David, the Pope asked the sculpture, how do you know what to cut away? Michelangelo's reply, it's simple. I just look inside and remove everything that doesn't look like David. Did you know that God wants to do divine sculpting on you as a result of this journey through the story? He knows you. He created you. He desires to look inside you and remove everything that doesn't look like you, the true you. He wants to call out the best version of you that even you can't imagine. Gideon is up against the biggest battle. The odds are way against him. God keeps dwindling the number down until he gets to 300 men. At this point, God speaks a word to Gideon. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites. Judges 6.16 Can I end our time today talking to you about five simple words? I will be with you. Whenever we share communion, we are remembering Jesus' words. I will be with you. Jesus' last words to the disciples in Matthew 28 were, Go and make disciples, and I will be with you always. Lately, as a result of my journey through the story, I've been thinking about these five words often. When I get into certain situations and I sense someone is believing the lies instead of the truth about themselves, I will ask them, could you just give me a five-word sentence, just five words that represent a lie that you've believed that has robbed your story of strength and courage? I've re been writing down some of the responses. Can I share them with you? It's too late for you. You've messed up too much. No one will want you. It's never going to happen. You will just fail again. You're never going to change. You will always be alone. You've failed as a mother. Or you're just like your dad. God doesn't love you anymore. It'll be like this forever. You've wasted too much time. You are on your own. You don't need any help. God's finished giving you chances. Just five words that come so quickly to the people I asked. Words that have been lies and robbed strength and courage from their lives. Now I've come all the way from Yarrawonga to give you five new words to replace all the other five word lies you have ever believed about yourself. Let's throw it back up there 
The Lord answered, I will be with you. Therefore, square your shoulders. Look full into the wonder of God. Learn his word. God declares, as I was, as I was with Moses, Joshua, Deborah and Gideon, I will be with you. You see, these five words will trump all those other five word lies you have ever been told. You have some fears? So did Gideon. So do I. Ever wonder about your resources? So did Gideon. So do I. Ever wonder if you got what it takes? So did Gideon. So do I. I will be with you. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? In the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, let's pray. Gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are with us. Wherever we go, whatever we do, you are there. Lord, we thank you for the examples of Deborah and Gideon and all those other terrific, wonderful people in your word. Lord, we pray that as we go out, seek to do your will, as we seek to learn more of you daily. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us in every step. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.